Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Hey, everybody, it's Wood Talk number 197 for September 22nd, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about design rules for grain orientation, filling cracks with finish, and making really long panels. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, good news, everybody. Really good news. You're going to be so excited about this news. I'm going to tell you all about it. The new Arbortech Random Contour Sander is now available in the U.S. This new sander will most definitely make all of your sanding jobs a breeze. Watch the tool in action at ArborTechUSA.com. And we'd also like to thank a couple of donors, specifically Nathan O'Leary, Martin Smith, and Kevin Scruggs. Thank you guys for your donation. And if you want to help out too, you can go to WoodTalkShow.com, look in that left-hand column, and you'll see a couple of easy links that you could use to set up either a recurring donation in a very small amount or like a one-time donation, which is always appreciated. So thank you everyone who did that and who continues to do that. And uh, you know what I decided, guys? I'm going to read full names from now on. I've been doing like the last initial thing, and I'm like, look, if you donated to this show, you should be proud of it. And I'm going to say your last name and probably mispronounce it, but I'm going to try. We're going to out you no matter what. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So that your your spouse is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's that's You're supposed to be picking up milk, and you were actually subscribing to these guys and helping them out. Yes, exactly. Miss O'Leary will talk to Nathan and be like, Nathan, you should not be spending five dollars a month on those idiots. You know, O'Leary, Smith, and Scruggs, that almost sounds like a bluegrass band. <laughs> it totally does. <laughs> I would go to see them live. It's, it's either that or it's uh, an Adirondack lawyer. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right, cool. Well, let's move into what's on the bench. I've been quite busy myself. I finished the uh, Krenov-inspired display stand and uh, putting the last couple coats of finish, probably at the point now where I can just let it sit and cure up and then do a final rub down before it's done. So glad to see that one in the can and happy with the results. The uh, The combination of walnut and Cortison sycamore is just awesome. I mean, these sycamore boards that I picked just had a whole lot of crazy grain going on. So I'm, I'm glad I went with that. It was, a, I think, a good match. And I've never really worked with sycamore before. So it was an um, uh, enlightening experience. But I think with a finished product, I think I'm uh, pretty happy with. You know, there's a really bad pun in there, something about sick and more. And I just, I'm maybe. working on it. I'm going to get back to you on this one. Yeah, let us maybe know. edit it in later. Yeah, give us an update on that. Okay, I will. And uh, now, now here's a, this is kind of a big deal. You guys are going to hear me string together a series of words into a sentence that you've probably never heard me say before and may never hear me say again. You ready? Okay. I spent my day cutting pre-milled Home Depot poplar and assembled it using pocket screws to make a painted toy chest. That was the best comedy thing you've ever put together. Now, did you string those off of YouTube or? <laughs> you like that, right? Uh, at the risk of sounding snobbish, um, that is something that I don't do very often, but the Woodworkers Fighting Cancer build is coming up and I'm starting the project already. And I like to make it as accessible as possible because the whole thing is based on pledges. So the more people that build it, the more corporate sponsors will pay and ultimately the more money we get for our charity of choice. And uh, so this year we're building a toy box and it's all like pre-milled poplar, like most of it's three and a half inch wide stock. So, so I mean, here's the thing. The, the crappy thing about it is most of these boards are warped, as we know. Um, so I'm sitting there for 45 minutes just trying to find a decent selection of <laughs> nice flat boards. But once I had them, getting that back to the shop and knowing that I don't even have to, to thickness the boards or cut them to width. <laughs> so all I have to do is cut them to length and start assembling this thing. I'm like, holy crap, this is, this is going to go together fast. 
Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it was good. Um, so I'm really looking forward to sharing it with everybody. We'll have plans for it and a cut list and anybody who wants to uh, build along and participate. All you need to do is build this thing. And then you've got several corporate sponsors who are footing the bill, uh, which we thought was a really cool way to like, so that people don't, they themselves <laughs> don't have to put any out of pocket money other than to build the project and they get to do what they want with the project. You could donate it. You can give it to a, a family member, a friend, keep it for yourself. Uh, a lot of people auction them off and then use that money to give to the charity as well. So that- you know, I think there's a couple of great points in there. Number one, it is for a charity. And then num- number two, I think you pointed out some really good things about the fact that we always kind of poo-poo the uh, home center lumber. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you were able to find boards you could work with after searching for a little while yeah. still it tells people that this is something that they can they can easily do without breaking the bank and still being able to participate in such a great uh, project that you have going on. Yeah, and it was See, a little bit deceiving, I don't know. though. I could probably lose my job if I went and bought lumber at Home Depot. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Shannon, we'll tell them that you actually weren't listening to this portion when we did that. So. Yeah, you're, <laughs> I've got my fingers in my ears you're right You're the now. exception, <laughs> for sure. Well, and I'll tell you, it's a little bit deceiving, though. You look at the rack, and they all look straight. I was really impressed, and I, I kind of scoped it out last week, just making sure they had what I needed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, those are straight enough. And, of course, once I get them down on a cart and I'm looking at them, I'm like, whoa, baby. <laughs> These are not so straight. <laughs> yeah, a straight rack is never good. I always like a little curve in mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But It's got to be something to do with the lighting. They just have it tweaked just right so they all look straight. That's what it is. It's all in a big shadow, so you can't tell anyway. Perfect. Um, so did you at least fancy it up with some sort of really expensive multi-part glue and like a really, really fancy stainless steel pocket screw with, no, it's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go as low key, low budget as possible, man. I got the, a bit of gilding on the outside. (laughs) Yeah. So a whole gilding and patination process on top of very David Marks esque (laughs) little bent lamination. You know, that's a carved turtle toy box. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I saw that in person, by the way. Really? It was as creepy in person as it was in the show. Totally. It is even more creepy because it was in the back of an old storage like thing where he basically keeps all of his old partially completed projects from the show. Is that one that kind of looks like something from a really bad Godzilla movie? Yeah, kind of. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And uh, but it but I did see it. It was pretty cool. I I wanted to take it home, but uh, he wouldn't let me. Eyes follow (laughs) you no matter where you go. Yeah, like the those those old plates in uh, old ladies' houses. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, that that's it for me, Shannon. What about you? I took a little break. Uh, my sister-in-law lives up in, um, I don't know what you call that area of New York. It's its not quite upstate, but it's like just kind of not Long Island. And I don't know. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, New York. Terrytown, New York. Just across the Tappan Zee Bridge. She lives up in that area. And we went up to visit her for um, my wife's birthday, which is tomorrow, actually. My wife and sister-in-law went off to Broadway. And I had kind of some time to mill around and took an inspiration break. I got to see uh, the Rockefeller house nice. and the Carnegie house. And I saw Hyde Park where FDR used to hang out. So did a lot of tours of these really just enormous mansions of like turn of the century industrialists and mm-hmm. took a lot of photographs of really cool furniture. But what was interesting is the most inspiration I got was in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. <laughs> I was wondering what you were doing there. Yeah. yeah, I posted some pictures on Facebook today. It's a lot of mausoleums. So all kinds of just really cool architecture, incredible carvings, stone carvings, obviously, but stained glass. So a lot of art deco, a lot of uh, arts and crafts, just really, really cool stuff. And every, it's 
kind of morbid. I don't know. But like every mausoleum I saw, I was like, oh, I could totally see that in a piece of furniture or that in a piece of furniture. I went and looked at the um, Helmsley, like Leona Helmsley, her, mm. and her and her husband, their mausoleum. And it's this total Art Deco stained glass side to it. I took like 30 pictures of it. It's just wow. It's just really cool. It was just it just reminded me that I need to take some time to, you know, go out and see some of the stuff. You know, I I do live in an area where the history comes from, at least in the U.S. So it was kind of it was kind of neat to do that. And uh, I've got a whole bunch of ideas of things that I want to do, whether I'll ever get to them or not. But it was nice. It's good inspiration break. Good. Yeah. It's uh, always good to take a cemetery break. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, it reminds you that you're alive and things aren't as nearly as bad as they could be. <laughs> That's true. We could we could <laughs> yeah. be dead. I think yeah. we said that on a show before. We could all be yeah, dead. Definitely. <laughs> cool. Man. You know, when I go on vacation, usually we're like, dude, check out this really crappy restaurant we could go to. This would be amazing. Let's play a little food poisoning roulette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's always fun. Yeesh. Well, speaking I did a little of, bit of that too. <laughs> oh, nice. At the cemetery. Yeah. Yes. Do not yeah. eat from the food truck at the cemetery. It's never a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a little leery if the special for the day was finger sandwiches. I'd be like, uh, how fresh are they? That is so gross. All right, Matt. How about you? <laughs> All right. Well, the, the big thing I've been doing for the past week is since I got back from woodworking in America, uh, thanks again to the folks over at Highland Woodworking, I have been doing a whole bunch of editing and getting videos to them as quick as I could. And it turns out that when it comes to any type of interview placement, I will pick the absolute worst places in the world for microphones. Good job. Uh, it Good job. turns out that I have an affinity for standing people directly under air vents next to doors that get used quite frequently and on top of it in front of windows that completely blind the camera. So let me tell you something. <laughs> I'm amazing. You're hired, Matt. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, there's a there's a really, really great interview that wraps all of those amazing characteristics of my videos into one. And of course, it's the one featuring <laughs> Don Williams. And I have been struggling hard to try and salvage this uh, this video. So what I might end up doing is just putting a giant disclaimer at the bottom that says, please just ignore the background noise <laughs> and strain to listen to what Don and I are saying. Oh, man, that always oh, that's rough. Especially just you should you should take a tip from some of your earlier woodworking pieces where you called it character and call it stylistic choices. You know, I was thinking something like that. Like uh, um, I am now going to start perfecting video and audio recording in a wind tunnel or better idea. Just write it all out, script it and do a complete new voiceover, just making two different voices for yourself. Well, you know what's yes, really funny is do that. Hmm, I think I, I, I could maybe do something. There's, there's funny because there's, there's one part in, in one of the videos with well, one of the segments I had with Don where somebody must have walked up and they were on their phone. They're like, yeah, I'm watching Matt interview some guy. <laughs> oh, in the back, I'm like, okay, now how do I get that kind of uh, – it's really, it's really subtle, but it's there. But – you know, when we since ArborTech is one of our sponsors, I actually stopped by their booth and I did a little video work catching some of their stuff. And when I sent it off to Highland, I'm like, yeah, again, had a little video issue because they were behind a screen and dust kept blowing onto the screen like that plexiglass uh, window thing used to kind of protect you from the machine just in case. Mm-hmm. And of course, my video camera fixated on a speck of dust. So oh, everything nice. behind that speck of dust is out of focus. So I had to go back the next day. <laughs> Hey, can you pretend like we just did this, you know, what we did the other day and the audio is so bad that we ended up putting um, uh, uh, captions underneath it to try and let you know what it is. So it's not that he's speaking with a funny accent. It's just that you can't understand a word he's saying because the machine is so loud. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I am definitely hired for more jobs. 
Um, you know, where can we, I, I know you said it's for Highland. Are they just putting these videos on their blog or will you be, um, I don't know, tweeting or Facebooking them out there or what? Uh, doing both. Right now, the vast majority of them are already up on the Highland Woodworking blog. They're slowly starting to roll them out. In fact, I just noticed that they put up, uh, I ended up doing like two class m- montages because I wanted to keep it at least 10 minutes or so so that you're not suddenly sitting there feeling like you're actually at Woodworking America in one session for the to- whole entire weekend. Those two just went up on their Facebook posts. They're available on their blog. And then I've been kind of cross-posting a few also on my blog. So they're they're nice. getting out one way or the other. Good deal. Looking forward to it. Yeah, should be a good time. And you can watch it and go, yep. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. guy is definitely not going to be my assistant in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. All right, let's move into what's new. This is where you send us some links and stuff that you found, and then we talk about them and act like we actually found them. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so Christopher emailed in, and he said, I was discussing epoxy inlays with a buddy of mine, and he one-upped me with this site. Talk about an inlay. I've never seen anyone basically inlay an entire laptop before not to mention the other designs. Either way, I thought you guys would be interested. And it is indeed an amazing laptop. Like The laptop itself is inlaid into the wood. So I would love to see some in-process shots for exactly how this work was done, but it's very steampunky and very cool. Um, you just got to see it. It's kind of hard to describe it, but it's one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. It is really cool. I saw that and was immediately like... Um Honey, I got to go down in the shop and pretend like I know how to do something like this. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very, over the top. Very cool. Yeah, L- over the I top. Like good. This a lot. Sweet. Well, since you took the one that I was going to do, Mike, you want me to take the one that you're going to do? Um, thanks for catching that. And, <laughs> and yes, please do. Mark, Matt, Mike, man, yeah, whatever. I get We're us all confused. <laughs> all right. So this one came in from Justin, and Justin said, "I ran across this article on Gizmodo today where they preserve the live edge." in epoxy complete with natural moss and all. And so I, I, I had to go back in and take a look at this one again. I, I think we've seen a couple of other ones very similar to this, and I, I think it's just so cool. It's almost like, uh, like when they find the uh, bugs in amber is the oh, only yeah, way yeah. I can think of it. That's how my mind works around this whole thing, just okay. kind of try to get that image out there. Uh, it's kind of like, um, uh, what do you call it, the mosquito in Jurassic Park. Exactly, Jurassic Park. yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. It looks cool, for this, in this case, it's a live edge in epoxy. It's kind of interesting. I wonder how long, I, I mean, I guess if it truly is, there's no air in there at this point. Is is that stuff still going to have an opportunity to degrade? That's a good question. Uh, I have a feeling no, unless they accidentally drill a hole in there or something. Now, it's got a couple other great examples. Like If you kind of go down a little bit in the pictures, they have two full logs in in, in the middle of a giant epoxy bath, it looks like. Jeez, that's crazy. That is. And awesome. that just says to me, somebody had way too much time on their hands. It's awesome, Matt. You, <laughs> you know what it is? They got it mixing up all that epoxy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they probably got a really amazing deal on the epoxy. And they're like, God, we got to use this. <laughs> we got to do something with this crap. Got to cool. use it up. What are exactly. we going to do? <laughs> cool. All right, Shannon, you can take yours. I won't steal it. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm still ogling this laptop. It's purdy. Uh, let's see. This comes from Adam. And Adam wrote a blog post about how he built what he likes to call an adjustable dovetail square because I couldn't afford the Vesper double square. So uh, if you're not aware, Chris Vesper down under makes incredible eye candy type squares, bevel gauges, etc. And, um, you know, certainly they're expensive, but they're also a wee bit more expensive for those of us in North America because it costs just a bit to get it on the other side of the world. So... Adam decided this is this little of uh, what 
Chris Vesper calls the double square. He just decided this was the perfect thing for what I need, so I'm going to build one. And he wrote up a very good blog post on how he did it and what he uses it for. So we'll drop the link in the show notes. Check it out. Good job, Adam. Cool. Sweet. Well, hey, I'm going to take this next one again. It's Glenn, and he sent in, hey, guys, I came across this video and the rest of the channel, and this dude makes some pretty impressive hidden compartment furniture. I'm not sure I need a coffee table that can hide a rifle. Actually, if you watch the video, it's several rifles and other uh, ammunition that you could hide in there is what he demonstrates. (laughs) But hey, the zombie apocalypse is just one Ebola case away, right? And again, I just want to take a note with that. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not too worried about having the zombies look for my hidden things. I'm more or less worried about them looking for my hidden brain inside my skull case. <laughs> Can you put your brain in this thing? Oh, that good. might be a good one. Yeah, the zombies are coming. Quick, get your brains out. We're yeah. all safe. Hide your brains. <laughs> so, But anyways, he goes on to say, be sure to check out his other designs. They're pretty impressive. So uh, if you head over to this YouTube channel link that we'll have in here, it is pretty neat. Uh, I, the guy does kind of, he mentions that, you know, this is a great way to put it, valuable. So it's not just for gun enthusiasts. Uh, you can easily hide all sorts of good stuff in there. In my case, it will definitely be, I don't know, stuff. The remote, like maybe just a TV guide or, you know, nothing yes. special. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The remote especially because there is nothing worse than coming in with three other family members who are addicted to TV and you only can't find it. Can't it's find a remote. Hidden. That's it. It's in between you the know, cushions, Matt. That's, I, think, <laughs> I think we should get this guy together and you know suggest the whole hiding your brain thing, but get him together with a steampunk lactose laptop guy oh there you go and we could have like the steampunk skynet Mm, that would be cool cool. of course then there's another apocalypse that comes after that so maybe (laughs) maybe not so good but a steampunk apocalypse would be way cooler than like the one i'm (laughs) anticipating much that's never been done before than than (laughs) the other apocalypses cool all right let's see here this is uh actually this didn't come from anybody this just comes directly from me because i i found it and like the suggested videos on youtube when i was on the other day and it is uh, the channel, I believe, is Shavings and Wood or Wooden Shaving, Shavings and Wood. Um, he took a tour of Phil Lowe's school up in uh, up in uh, Massachusetts somewhere. And it was just really well done. And uh, I don't know if you guys I know, Mark, you've you've spoke very glowingly about the William Ng school. Mm hmm. But I personally, I've never been to a big school. You know, all the the classes I've taken in schools have just been in like some dude's shop, you know, Um, Roy Underhill's one room, you know, off of the main drag and Chuck Bender's shop. You know, those are the classes I've taken. This is kind of what I imagine like the Mark Adams school to be like, but much more kind of period-y, furniture-y focused. Mm -hmm. It's just incredible. And he just keeps going into one room after another. And you keep thinking, okay, this has got to be the end of the school. Then he walks in, okay, well, here's the drafting room. And here's hand tool room number seven. And here's the machine room. Oh, and here's the showroom. And it's just incredible. And what I found really neat was just like the pride. Phil kept walking around instead of him just, being this is this is my room this is what do we do here he kept involving his students and he's obviously got a lot of pride in what his students create a lot of kind of vested interest in helping people build really really incredible stuff so it's just a cool video to check out uh, and it's i don't know i want to say it's 15 minutes long or so nah, that's too long <laughs> well what i was just gonna say is two minutes really or less long for youtube but it, it, it's really captivating <laughs> i'll so. check it out if you like shop tours, which lots of people seem to like shop tours, yeah, that's do. a good one to check out. Well, cool. You know, I, I just have to step in there in case Phil actually listened to this because somebody points out what a gushing uh, thingy there Shannon had for 
uh, that school. Phil, I'm really sorry that my video expertise at Woodworking America meant that your excerpts that I filmed um, are completely unusable. So, and uh, just have to let you know, you just named the show Shannon's Gushy Thingy. <laughs> well done, and sir. You're welcome. Kudos, my friend. All right, let's move into the poll of the week. And uh, last week's poll was what? What was it? Oh, your workbench situation. And we had about 1,500 people uh, reply to this. 59% said, I built my own workbench. It drops all the way down to 18% that say, I don't have a workbench, but I wish I did. 9% say that they use light work tables, like portable, uh, what do you call them? Portamate, workmate things. Uh, 8% say I bought the workbench. And 5% say that I was given the workbench. Um, there's a couple other responses there, but they're so low, uh, not really relevant to the to the thing. So, uh, Are there any that were like the apron one that said that uh, workbenches are just for people that are like to show off? Not like that, but I, there was one that like, uh, basically have no need for one or something like that. So I 3D printed my workbench. <laughs> oh, there you go. That'll be more common. It's very soon. Uh, so next week's poll, actually the current poll, if you want to uh, to participate in it, is about tired work, woodworking debates. Not like being tired, but like they're tired. We're all tired of hearing them. It's overdone. Who cares anymore? And uh, the question really is, which one of these is the worst and kind of just needs to go away? Um, I say all of the above myself, but... Uh. <laughs> and personally, I think that once we get the results of that, um, that particular episode, when we announce those results, we can each answer a question that addresses those top three tired. I'm sure that in our scrap pile, we have a, a question or seven. I'm sure. For each of those tired topics. So, Or, you know, what would be, be like what would be even more exciting is if we do it kind of like high school debate team style, we each just pick a side of the debate and just go. <laughs> well, hopefully for me, <laughs> like really, the, the scene from old school where Will Ferrell suddenly channeled, channeled whatever that was. That's what I want to happen to me. So it, that <laughs> yeah. the two of you just go, I got nothing. Yeah, we're done. That'd be perfect. <laughs> All right. Let's move into our emails. Uh, I got one here from Dave. He says, I'm finishing a dining room table. Actually, Mark's rustic outdoor table, except mine will be an indoor table. It's made of knotty alder. Very bad alder. And the top is beautiful. Um, someone sent us an email recently and actually spelled it naughty. Naughty. Did you notice that? <laughs> I yes, that. I did. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't know if that's on purpose, but that's pretty funny. I hope you put it in timeout. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I've applied four coats of polyurethane. It would be finished, except there there are several micro cracks in the wood. Some of the cracks are about the width of a fingernail, and I uh, don't want spilled milk going sour in a small crack where it can't be wiped up. So hoping to get the next coat on and hoping that it'll finish or the finish will fill the cracks. Um, brushing on the finish, since I don't have a sprayer yet, is it reasonable to think that eventually the cracks will fill up with polyurethane or should I do something different? I filled the large knots with epoxy before planing them. Uh, that worked fantastic. Next time I'll fill all of the small cracks with epoxy too. Now this is a common thing, whether you're trying to fill cracks like this or maybe just a regular pour fill for an open poured wood, folks will try to use finish to fill it. And it's um that's a long way to go. It, it's not something that's quick because you, you just the way these things work, the liquid pours down into it and the recess is nearly always there. And as you're building up the surface level, you're building that up along with the, the crack filling. It just seems like you can never truly fill it until you start to, to put so many coats on, then you sand back and then you start applying coats on top of that. That's one way to do it, but it's very wasteful because it requires you to put a lot more coats on there than you normally would. So generally speaking, I don't recommend filling cracks with finish. It takes forever if you can do it at all. 
uh, I mean, you, you will be there for a long time doing that. So the other thing is finish shrinks and it tends to shrink even more over time. So those cracks that maybe they look good, let's say you did get it filled, maybe they look good now, they may not look good a couple years from now as the finish continues to kind of pull in on itself a little bit. So um, I definitely recommend putting something in there that's a little bit more rigid uh, and epoxy is a great solution for that. I would I would be tempted if these are really bugging you, I'd be tempted to mask off the area around the crack and see if you can't just apply some more epoxy into there and then very carefully scrape it down nice and flat after the epoxy cures and continue applying your your top coat on there. See if that works because honestly I really hate to see you chasing this rabbit hole <laughs> with the finish in the crack. Uh doesn't really work that great. So um, yeah, I, I try to do some last minute epoxy application, be very careful about it, clean it up real good and you should be okay. Should be all right. Yeah. Sweet. Just make sure that the cracks don't go all the way through. Yeah. That could be a problem too. <laughs> and then you epoxy it to your workbench. Well, it sounds like he's got some poly in there already. So hopefully if they are somewhat open, that they've been at least sealed enough to hold the epoxy in there. Yeah, I, I've made the mistake of doing the whole thing with the poly and then having it shrink and just go, <laughs> oh, no. Wait, that's a design aspect. <laughs> that's there a feature. Go. Perfect. It's, called a, it's the ripple finish. Nice. Sweet. Well, hey, speaking of design aspects, Christopher wrote us and he said, I need design advice regarding vertical versus horizontal grain direction. I'm in the process of building some shelving boxes in the style of those featured in Fine Woodworking Article 3D Shelves in Live in Any Room, uh, and that's in the June 2014 issue. Now, the project entails hanging eight horizontally elongated boxes positioned together on the wall to hold boxes inside and on top. The sides and shelves will be made of mahogany, but the backing will consist of plywood laminated with one-eighth of an inch to quarter-inch mahogany veneer on the visible side. So my question is whether to run the grain of the veneers horizontally or vertically. I almost said horizontally. That is a word. I like to combine words and just make (laughs) everybody wonder what the heck I was drinking while recording the show. Uh, so anyways, horizontally or vertically. And the horizontal elongation of the, the box seems to call for horizontal grain. And that's the way it is depicted in the article. But the overall scheme of boxes creates a nice vertical flow which cascades down the length, such as the height of the wall. And is there some general design principle that says which way grain should run in these situations? Or is it a question of personal ex- personal, personal preference? That's too many P's next <laughs> to each other. I am stuck in a paralyzing loop of analysis. I see what you did there. You put three of them in there just to totally mess with me. Peter Piper. So, speaking of Peter Piper, actually, I turned to my friend Peter Jacobs of <laughs> PeterJacobKindCreative.com. He's fantastic when it comes to design. And I said, you know what? Can you kind of help me out with this? Because my only answer to Christopher's question is, uh, yeah, just follow your own personal preference. Uh, I think you know you could totally trust your eye. But – uh, Peter, my friend Peter has a uh, degree in design. And so I said, you know what? Maybe there actually is some sort of rule. And his response when I sent him the question was that he's never been a fan of hard and fast rules when it comes to design. So he's suggesting, Peter's suggesting that grain can be applied in any direction and can add great impact to the aesthetic of any design. Now, as an edge band or on a drawer face, vertical grain direction can provide uplift to a case. There's nothing as dramatic as a starburst array match on a round tabletop. And in the example here, there is no wrong way to go. I'd be considerate of the surrounding elements of the overall environment where the shelves or boxes are going to be displayed. And, you know, you have to ask yourself questions like, what is the millwork in the space? Uh, taking a look at the, uh, the trim and so on. Is there a strong vertical narrative being kind of 
exuded by these uh, particular items within the room that you're planning on putting these? Are there tall doorways? Are there stairs? Is it high ceiling? In that case, a horizontal grain may actually provide a nice contrast. But based on your decision on the surrounding elements, you'll have a harmonious result uh, depending on which point you're going to go on this. So it sounds an awful lot like something we would hear from um, uh, George. Uh, oh, my gosh. Why am I totally Walker, pulling up? Walker. George, George Walker. Walker, thank you. But as Peter was saying, you know, really kind of take into a, a, a thinking about the elements all around the, the rest of the room, especially the trim, the doors, as he mentioned, and that might help to kind of push you in the right direction. Again, because like he said, there's, there's no really hard and fast rules to this kind of thing, or if there are, it's awful fun to kind of break them. Mm-hmm. It definitely is one of those things that as much as I think other people kind of uh, – uh, don't trust my judgment on things. I usually kind of go with what looks good to me um, and, and figure out from there. I kind of trust my eye once in a while. Originally, one thing I was thinking about this is totally getting away from the kind of the design thing. Uh, if it was a situation where you were using more of a solid wood versus a veneer on a more stable plywood, uh, then I would start thinking about how I want to put these in here because you could have the issue of the wood movement. But since this is veneer on a thin plywood, it's kind of a mute point as far as moot point, not mute. Yeah, totally visual. I'm, I'm actually looking at the pictures. Anyone who wants to see this, just Google um, 3D shelves enliven. You could probably just do 3D shelves and find these pictures uh, directly from the article. The, to me, I would go with the overall, a lot of times you want the grain to go with the overall dominant dimension. And mm. the way you space these shelves, depending on how he spaces them, they could either be, if you just take the whole thing as a whole, including the white space, it's either a big square or maybe it's a vertical rectangle. Maybe it's a horizontal rectangle. It seems like whatever the overriding sort of shape is would be what would make the most sense to run the grain. You know what I right. mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I kind of get, get what you're putting down. <laughs> what I'm throwing down there? Yeah, I'm um, picking up what you're putting you down. You feel me? And uh, yeah. the other thing is I'm, I'm looking at it going, you know what, though? No matter how you run it, if you did go vertical, you're making a much bolder statement about the theme of the piece. Horizontal blends in, and you almost right. don't notice the grain because it's kind of just going the way you expect it to go. Um, right. If you went vertical on that on that arrangement of little shelves like that, it would be much more noticeable, but uh, probably in a good way in this particular and, example. And especially if it was like a contrasting color, contrasting species in there, that that definitely, yeah, if you're using time. something like that, if you're going to go like the complete opposite color of the the, the box itself, mm-hmm. that's telling you, like telling me at least, that you really want these to stand out. And so maybe going more with the vertical would really, really make those pop. Yeah. Cool. Or you could create a lot of unrest and unease and use the bat angle. You know, that <laughs> angle they set the camera on the Batman TV show when they're in the <laughs> villain's hideouts. It's supposed to make them like all twisted. In cinematic terms, it's called the Dutch angle, just in case you want to get all hoity-toity. Oh, boy. Somebody's been using Adobe way, way too much. (laughs) Sweet. I took your time, Matt. (laughs) Matt That's all I got. Thank you, Peter, for helping me out with that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Who who helped you with that? That's uh, Peter Jacob of PeterJacobKindCreative.com. He's a good friend of ours that – just he's amazingly talented when it comes to design. It's one of those things where I'm like, hey, Peter, can, 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 can you come help, come help me out? I just, I, yeah. what nice. direction should I put this tabletop? Oh, thanks, Peter. Yeah. That was awesome. Thanks, Peter. We should have him on the show more often. Seriously. Uh, if he uh, replaces me, then no. <laughs> That's uh, right. Hint, hint. Often imitated, but never replaceable, Matt. <laughs> True. Yeah, his chortle isn't all that great yet. Yeah. We'll, we'll make fun of his chortle when he comes on. All right. 
this is uh, this is from Derek. I'm working on a quote for a commission of a 12 foot by three foot bar top. The customer wants the piece to be striped along the 12 foot length with cherry, maple, and black walnut. My plan is to find lumber in 12 foot plus links to make my job easier. But if I was not able to find lumber links, what would be the options for joining strips end to end? Finger joints come to mind, but I can't imagine clamping a 12 foot long piece to be very easy. What suggestions do you guys have? All right. So first things first, um, you should not have any problem finding 12 foot links in maple. Cherry and walnut might be a little bit different story. Cherry is going to be a lot easier than walnut, but if you're trying to stay away from the sapwood and things like that, that might be a little bit difficult. So that being said, if you can get, say you can get 12 foot links in maybe one of the species, and I suspect that would be maple, think about how they do bowling alleys where you stagger the boards and instead of having those end seams all lining up, You've got boards on either side of that shorter board that do run the full length. Or if nothing else, those boards span across that ingrain joint and they're kind of sandwiched in either side. Hmm. So it's, since you're already doing a striping thing, you could uh, you could do that. You could sandwich them together. Um, what, what's the stuff called at like Home Depot? Like not particle board, like finger board or finger joint board or something. It, it, they sell the stuff. They sell it in panels and that's exactly how it's done. Oh, it, yes, yes. Those those joints, those in grain or in joints are just staggered across the width. So you still got that long grain to long grain strength and it's staggered across. So that would be one way to do it. If you can get, you know, even if you can't get a 12 foot length, you could still do that. But if you, I'm pretty certain you could get the maple and that way you could kind of sandwich on either end with maple, depending on how you're going to do that striping. Barring all that, and if you do want to come up with a joinery solution, finger joints would scare me a little bit. Um, you know, they, they've got to be somewhat strong because you see them used a lot for um, lower in furniture pieces. I'm talking like target furniture and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I would think there's a lot of other options. There's certainly many instances in like the timber frame world where you have to join boards together because you've got to span a 144 foot length. You know, and you've got to run these long beams together. Um, there's really, really ornate, cool versions like in like temple joinery and Japanese temples or something like that, where you're using long kind of interlocking scarf joints with pegs and things like that. Now, that might be too much for a bar top. So you could eliminate some of that. But there are certainly a lot of really cool joints that join end to end and they're designed to take structural loads. So you don't really have to worry too much about that. The other thing is you could do a half lap. You could do a really long half lap where the the cheek itself of the lap could be six inches, could be 12 inches long. So you've got incredible amount of glue surface there. And, you know, on the face, you're seeing that that ingrain joint come together, but you've got that incredible strength underneath it. Heck, you could even peg it underneath if you don't want to see the peg. I would think there would be a lot of other options besides a finger joint that are going to provide not so much more glue because the finger joint does provide a lot of actual square footage of glue surface. I just worry that it doesn't extend very long, very deep into the board itself. I think you could come up with some cooler joints that maybe even would give you a little bit more artistic license to do some really cool stuff like pegs or butterfly inlays or something Mm. like that. So look into things like temple joinery or um, 
timber frame joinery. There is an episode of the Woodwright shop actually where uh, Roy spends the entire episode talking about these timber frame joints and how to span that long distance. And he's got, you know, um, seven different styles of joints. It's really worth looking into. Nice. You guys have anything else you'd suggest? I like the idea of just a basic scarf joint. I mean, if he's not looking yeah. for anything too fancy, because then you've got the sort of you're disguising the grain a little bit because the joint's running a little bit closer to in line with the grain. Um, lots of surface area, pretty straightforward to make and um, kind of disguisable, unlike any kind of end grain joint that just at some point is visible. Uh, even, yeah. if, even if it's done well and done tight, tends to be a little easier to see than something that's going at an angle. So just a basic scarf joint sounds like a good idea too. Well, yeah, let's be real. It's a bar top, so it's going to have support <laughs> underneath it. Yeah, it doesn't it's need to be like super strong. Spanning anything, and it's not a it's not a suspension bar top. Right. Well, if it's going to be a bar top, bar top, there's probably going to be a lot of bar top epoxy on it. So just butt that right up, fill in those little gaps with some go. epoxy. You're all set. You Call go. it yeah. character. Nice. It just depends on if there's dancing going on in the bar top. Oh, in that case, make sure that you put a little reinforcement on there because when I when when Matt likes to shake his boogie up on top of a bar, let me tell you something. <laughs> Watch out, everybody! <laughs> You're going to be paying me to get down off the bar. <laughs> uh, classic Matt. Coyote. Uh, that's how I got myself ugly. to college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drag the coyotes in and get him off of there. <laughs> oh, great. All right. Well, if uh, if that didn't turn you off and you still want to support us, you actually can. You can set up a recurring donation at woodtalkshow.com. Look over in that left-hand column, and we have a couple of links there to help you out, and we always appreciate that. You can buy a Wood Talk t-shirt at uh, twwstore.com. That's where you'll find that. And also, you could leave us a review in the iTunes store, which we always appreciate. Uh, just find our show, search for us, Wood Talk, and click on ratings and reviews and give us a rating that you feel is appropriate, which most likely should be, at, I would say, four or five stars. I mean, not to toot my own horn, our horn collectively, but I think we do okay at this. What do you mean by four stars? Right. I, I didn't think they went lower than that when it comes to our show. I thought they just automatically said, if you're leaving a review, it's a fiver. I'm trying to be a little bit more open-minded uh, to criticism. We so, need to stop. So I'll let a four star in. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> below four stars, the submit button is grayed out. That's right. I, it just doesn't I work. I can't go anything below four and in a fact, half, so it you freezes, have way more tolerance than I do. Well, if you go anything below four, it freezes iTunes, so you don't want to click that. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, those those T-shirts, they are absolutely amazing. I saw a whole bunch of them at Woodwork America. We'd pass each other in the hallway and be like, you look fantastic. And there was actually somebody that looked at me and went, hey, do you listen to the show? And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> a couple times a week sometimes <laughs> are you a big fan <laughs> that's great man oh that's, that's awesome. awesome all right and uh well matt i guess you can give them the contact info and we'll get out of here all right hey folks do you have any comments questions or topic suggestions there's several different ways to contact us leave us a voicemail on skype our username is wood talk online call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our wood talk facebook page and if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com and i want to remind you folks just one more time you know, the three of us, we have our own websites. Uh, it's very important that you know this because we are three <laughs> individuals that come together to make this amazing <laughs> show are, for you. We are you. not the same There's, person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're not all one person just disguising their voices. So there's Mark over at thewoodwhisperer.com. There's Shannon over at renaissancewoodworker.com. And there's Matt over at mattsbasementworkshop.com. And, of course, we also have a forum over at woodtalkonline.com just in case you cannot get enough of this amazing thing. Awesome. Well, thanks. Great. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. And I guess we will catch you next week. Oh, you know, we will. See ya. 
Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 